Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Mike Ford, I'm the campus minister for RUF at UT. This is my family leaving right now, so I'm used to it. Don't worry about that. See you, buddy. Um, And if you're a college student, welcome back. Uh, At RUF, we actually meet here at Redeemer on Tuesday nights at 7 and 8.15 for the first couple weeks uh, to be safe. We'll have stress balls and cups and people. You should come. Hope to see you there. And for everyone else, we're glad you're here. Because we know at Redeemer, there are a million other things you could be doing. You could be at McDonald's trying to find some cash inside some bags. Um, too soon? You, you could also uh, have just watched the Queen's Gambit, and so you got a Chess.com membership, and you're trying to figure out how to sacrifice your queen, like Bobby Fischer. Or you could be at home memorizing Amanda Gorman's amazing poem uh, earlier this week. There's a lot of things you, you could be doing, but you're not. You're here at Redeemer Um, And so we're grateful for that. Because what is Redeemer? Redeemer is a church trying to grow in love, love of God and love for our neighbor as we are here in this little place in urban and university Knoxville. The reason we want to grow in love is we want to be a blessing to the world. Uh, Because, not because we're better or good, better than anyone else, but because God first loved us. And because he first loved us, we know that we can extend that love outward. And so we try to rest in God's love for us. We're secure in that. Try to remind each other when we forget, and then we try to reflect that love to the world. That's what we are. We're a church trying to grow in love, God and neighbor, as we rest, remind, and reflect. And as a church, we're going through a sermon series in the, in the Gospel of Mark entitled Kingdom Life, right? And last week, we looked at kingdom vision, kingdom sight, where Jesus asks the disciples and blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And this week... It's actually the inverse, where now we're going to go to God and go, God, what do you want from us? God, what do you want us to do for you? So as I read the text, um, I want you to be asking that question. What does God want from us as his people? Hear now the good news of a God who commands us to love. Mark 12, uh, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard the Sadducees and Jesus disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to Jesus, you are right, teacher. You've truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more 
than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, This is God's word. It's good, true, and beautiful, given to you in love, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder once a week we come to gather together as your people with masks on, perhaps heavy hearts, anxious hearts. Lord, we're all here to hear from you. So I do pray that you open our hearts and our minds to hear your voice of love speaking to us even now in this passage. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so a couple years ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, that documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, came out. Not the Tom Hanks one, the documentary. And uh, my friend had gone to see it with his dad, and his dad was an elder in the church for 20 years, Christian his whole life, successful businessman, well-respected in the community. And uh, he goes to the documentary, and as they get in the car to leave, he looks over, and his dad, who, who he never saw him cry, had tears streaming down his face. And he was like, whoa, like, what's going on? Like, Dad, what, what's up? And he goes, I've been trying my whole life. I've been an elder for 20 years, a Christian for 40 years. I've been trying my whole life to be right, to be right politically, religiously, doctrinally. And I've forgotten the most important thing. I've forgotten to love. I've forgotten the most important thing I forgot to love. But somehow the life of Mr. Fred Rogers reminded him that this is all, why we do all this is for love. And I say that because in our passage, Jesus is asked by this Pharisee, and around him are all these Pharisees who hate Jesus. They hate him. And they're asking, hey, what does God want from his people? And God in the flesh looks at him and goes, I'll tell you what God wants. He looks at him and he goes, he wants your love. That's what God wants. He wants your love. Love God and love neighbor. And so this morning, I, I hope if you hear anything, you're reminded that this morning God loves you and he wants your love. So let me go through. We're, we're going to talk about love is a command and then love is a community and then love is costly. Love is a command, love is a community, and love is costly. First, we see that, that love is a command. In our passage where in verse 29, Jesus actually quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 5, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if you think about that, uh, what is Jesus trying to say? Well, you have to understand that laws reveal the values of the lawgiver. So if you want to know what someone cares about, what they value, look at the rules they try to follow, right? You could look at America over the last 250 years and look at our laws, and you could probably find out what America has cared about. Or how about if your child and your parents have rules and laws for you, I bet you we could find out what your parents care about by looking at the rules they have for you, what they value. Or even how about for yourself individually, all of us have certain rules and laws we live by. I bet you if I asked you what some of those are, I would find out what you care about, what you value. Laws reveal the value, character, the heart of the lawgiver. So the question is, well, what does this law reveal about God? He wrote this law, he gave it to Israel. What does it reveal about what he cares about? Because in in some way, you could see it's a little bit of, it's a little weird, right? Love me. Um, You know, it'd be like if I told Eleanor, like, I command you to love me, right? Like, that would be kind of weird. And it it reminded me of Peter Quill. 
and his dad Ego from Guardians of the Galaxy. His dad is a celestial primordial being who's trying to like put himself on every planet all over the world and eventually take it over. He's Ego, like he wants love. And that's how we could approach God with this rule, like love me, I'm God. But I think you would, I think you would really miss it. That at the heart of this law to love God is that actually God loves us. He values us. He, he wants our hearts. Because you were made for love. By love, in love, through love. To be a human being is to be made in the image of a God of love. And this is what's so tragic about Genesis 3 in the garden. As one theologian said, the great sin of Adam and Eve wasn't that they ate of the fruit, is that they misdirected their love away from God to a created thing. And it, it fractured them. <laughs> And it fractured us. And ever since then, we've been trying to become whole again, to be put back together. And it's no coincidence that in verse 29 and 30, the word all shows up four times. It's all over this passage. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That word all in Greek can also mean whole. That there's this invitation of God to love him. And to do so, to offer the whole of you, all of you, and in some way, God will heal you as you do that. That as we begin to love God, what we are made for, he heals us, he puts us back together. It's sort of like how a doctor, after you have surgery and they like do their surgery on you, they invite you to do certain things, right? They kind of command you to do it. And the reason they command you to do it is that it heals you. You've been fractured, you've been hurt, and you... You've been wounded, and they're trying to put you back together. In the same way, that's what God is inviting us to do, that apart from God, there is no life. Uh, there's this great uh, quote by this guy named Erasmo Leva Maricacus. There you go. Maricacus. I don't know. Here's what he says. What God has commanded on this passage, this is what he says, what God has commanded will precisely fulfill our deepest needs and desires. That God both knows our deepest nature and loves us unconditionally. And so he must urge, persuade, even threaten us by way of commandments to move us along the only path that will lead us to the fullness of truth. That actually God's command to love him is for our good. <laughs> He has to urge us, persuade us, but that's actually what we want. It's like a child crossing the road and a parent pulling them, commanding them, get out of the road. You don't want to, this is actually what you want, safety, holding, healing, security. That's what God's invitation is to you this morning. And it's a reminder that we are to love God, not just for the benefits of God, but actually for God himself. That God doesn't just want you to love him because of what he does for you. He wants you to love him. He, want, he wants your heart. So, Love is a command. It reveals that God wants your heart. He values you. He cares about you. And uh, we're to respond uh, with that uh, because he loves us freely. We're to respond by loving him freely in return. But secondly, love is a community. We learn that love is a community. If you notice, Jesus doesn't stop with one command. He keeps going. And in verse 31, he goes, and the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commandment. Like, he's equating the two almost like they're the same commandment almost. And I, I think if I'm God, why do I add the second commandment? If I'm God, why don't I just be like, love me? <laughs> I am God. 
But instead he adds a second one, I also love your neighbor. Somehow the heart of God is also connected to his people, so close together that you can't separate them. Why? Well, because love in its essence and core is communal. It's a community. This is why in 1 John 4, John writes, God is love. God is love because God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community that has been dwelling together, delighting in one another, loving each other, praising each other from all eternity past. Love, by its very definition, at the, like the heart of the universe, is communal. And love, by definition, is going to overflow, to reach out, to be outward facing. That is, that is the heart of love. That's why God made the world. It was an overflow of his love. And therefore, to love God means you love his neighbor, your neighbor. You love his world. And that if you don't, then love will be turned inwards. If love is not a community and you try to love something apart from God or apart from his neighbor, you'll turn inwards and and it'll die. It'll wilt and die. You cannot divorce love of God and love of neighbor. In fact, if you want even a little more um, help from that, Here's what 1 John says in chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. We love God because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and then hates his brother or his sister, he's a liar. For he who does not love his neighbor whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Like this commandment right here. Whoever loves God must also love his neighbor. You see what he's saying? You, you can't say you love God and then despise your neighbor. You can't say you love your neighbor but don't love God. And I think that there's this two, two tendencies in the American church for us. In the conservative church, there's more of a tendency to just love God. To do worship, Bible reading, scripture, prayer. We focus on that to the neglect of our neighbor in social issues in our cultural moment. And then there are other, the mainline progressive tendency in the church, American church, is to uh, care about the social issues and, and pour everything into that. And this is where it's all found, to the neglect of worship and love of God and his word. And here's the problem. If you only love God, it's a triangle, right? God, self, neighbor. If you only love God and you get rid of the neighbor, then that's kind of narcissistic because it's just you and God. So what else does God have to do but to love you, right? All you have to worry about is you and God. But if you only love neighbor and you you get rid of God, then you have this tendency to turn the social issue or whatever it is that you're giving yourself to into a God. Your identity and worth is found and bound up in this. You see, what Jesus is saying, all of these things are important and you cannot divorce one over the other because love is communal. It's a community. Um, In fact, this is just a side note. It has nothing to do with this, but... St. Augustine says that it's probably really good for us to have a lot of different hobbies so that we don't give ourselves to just one hobby and find our identity in it and turn it into a God. And I just randomly thought of the state of Alabama and their football program. It's like, does that all they have? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not judging them. I'm just putting it out there for y'all. Okay, we got to combine love of God and love of neighbor. You need both. And this begs the question, okay, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because what Jesus does here is simultaneously widen the scope of what a neighbor is and at the same time narrows it. He widens it because he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And in the context of Leviticus 19, you're supposed to love your ethnic Israelite. So your neighbor is your ethnic Israelite. That's who it is. 
But remember, Jesus in Luke 10 in the Great Samaritan says, whoever is in front of you in need is your neighbor, which, mean, which means every human being is your neighbor. You can't just, your neighbor's not just people who look like you or talk like you. Like, your neighbor's every human being. God, God wants the heart of every human being. But also, he narrows it because he says the only way you can really love your neighbor is by loving the person that's right in front of you. So the invitation for you this morning is God is inviting you to to love the person that you are sitting next to right now. Your roommate, your employee, your employer. Who do you see day in, day out? That's the invitation, to love that person. Not because they deserve it or earn it, but because God freely chose to love you and therefore you can freely choose to love your neighbor. That's the invitation. And... um, Love, in its very essence, is a community, right? God doesn't just want your heart. He wants your neighbor's heart, too. Then thirdly, love is a command. It's a community. Thirdly, love is costly. It is costly. And this is where we see the scribe respond to Jesus. And back then, it was kind of a repartee, a little, like, they kind of dish it out with each other. Like, one scribe, one rabbi would say one thing, and then he, like, takes what you says, summarizes it, and, like, adds his own thing. So here's what it is. And the scribe said to him, yeah, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one. And to love him with all your heart and understanding and strength is to love one's neighbor as yourself. That's right. And then he adds his extra thing. It's actually much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I love Jesus' response. I kind of imagine him with this smug face, like, like, "Mm, okay. And he goes, you are not far from the kingdom. You know, you can see that. And after that, no one dared ask him any questions, probably because they saw that face. And they're like, I don't know what to do with that. But here's what I want to say. I love Jesus' face. That's what I want to say. But here's, here's what I want to say. That statement by this scribe is radical. For him to say that loving God is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices is like a radical claim. Radical claim. That, that somehow love is greater than the entire edifice of what the Israelite system was set up upon. (laughs) You see, in the Old Testament, the way that God related to his people and the way that people related to God was through sacrifices. That's how they loved God and thanked God. And so if you got rid of those sacrifices, then you're getting rid of the way that they can actually relate to God. Let 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 me put it like this. Let's imagine that you're in a neighborhood... And there's a for sale sign, and you get on the, like, neighborhood app, and everyone's chatting away the gossip, who's moving in, and then somebody finds out. It's God. God is moving into your neighborhood. Don't you think that would change the way you lived? Don't you think you'd probably finally take care of that mulch pile your wife gave you four months ago? You'd probably mow the yard. You definitely wouldn't yell at your kids outside. You'd wait till you brought them inside, because God might be going on a walk, right? If God moved into your neighborhood, it would change the way you lived. You would relate differently. In the Old Testament, that's what happened. God moves into the neighborhood of of Israelites. He lives in the tabernacle. His presence, his law lives in the heart, in the center of the Israelite community. He He moves into the neighborhood. And the way that a sinful people can live with a holy God is through the sacrificial system. The way that they can tell God, I love you, the way that they can be forgiven is through sacrifices. And so this scribe is saying, you're right, loving God and loving your neighbor is greater, it's more important than the entire way that we now know how to relate to you. What does that mean? I think there's, this is instructive for us in a couple ways. 
The first is this, that your internal heart matters. Your internal heart matters. As a Christian, it's very easy to act, to externally do all the things you're supposed to do, but your heart, as the prophet Isaiah said about God's people, is far away from God. It's very easy to do that. And what 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us is that you can have all Bible knowledge and all faith, but if you don't have love, you don't gain anything. It kind of reminds me of 1960s Cold War era Soviet Russia. You guys know what I'm saying? And here's why, because I've just been reading John Le Carre, he just passed away, I've been reading his spy novels from the Cold War era. And in it, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, movie, great, book is better, but you read it, and uh, I'm not going to ruin it for you, who the spy is, but there's a spy. Is it Tinker? I don't know, Taylor? Maybe. So you, you, you read the book, and you realize this, that this British spy for 15 years, externally has been acting like he loves England and is working for them. But the whole time, his heart is, has its allegiance in Soviet Union. The whole time, his heart was not with England. And what would you say? Would you say that he loved England? No, he's a spy. He betrayed the people that he was externally saying he loved. And so this is what is so instructing about this passage. Instructive is you can say externally all you want about God, but if your heart isn't connected to him, God knows. It's not love. But the second way is that love is sacrificial. Love is costly. To really love God and to love your neighbor is going to cost you something. You see, Back then in an agrarian society, to offer sacrifices for animals and oil and land, that's where your wealth and money was. So when you came to God and gave him animals and sacrifices, you, it cost you something. But somehow this scribe is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Love is actually more costly than all that. How can it say that? Because instead of just offering your material blessings to God, you're, you're actually being invited this morning to offer your very life to God. <laughs> Right, isn't it Romans 12 that says we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, our bodies, our very selves? And if you want to know if someone loves you, like really loves you, they're not just going to give you money. That'd be great. In a, in a McDonald's bag? I don't know. They're not just going to give you that. You know what they're going to give you? They're going to give up their life for you. You can't fake that. It reminded me of uh, Harry Potter. And no, Harry's not going to be the main character of the story. Ron Weasley needs some love, and that's what he's going to get this morning. At the end of the first movie, book, they have to do this magical game of chess. If you ever played chess, it's all about sacrifice, tactics, strategy. And Ron um, is playing this knight, and Hermione is a rook, Harry's a bishop. And they have to win this game, and if they win this game, they can move on and like defeat Voldemort. And Ron goes, I have to move to this square, and the queen's going to take me. Harry, you move to C6, checkmate. And Hermione's like, no, don't, I love you, Ron. And, uh, and then Ron moves, the queen comes over, stabs him, kills, you know, he doesn't die, but almost, and Harry moves to C6, and they win. How did Ron show that he loved them? By sacrificing himself. If you want to know what true love is, it's sacrificially offering yourself to God and to your neighbor. But here's the good news. 
The Bible actually defines what love is for you. I know we've been talking about love a lot, haven't defined it. Can I define what love is according to the Bible? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. How did God show his love? That he offered his son. That God loves you by sacrificing his son for you. And even Jesus says this in John 15, 12. This is my commandment. He's giving his disciples, you and me, a commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he defines how he's gonna love us. Greater love has no one than this. Let someone lay down his life for his friends. Here's the incredibly good news about this passage. That as we like fail over and over again in loving God and loving our neighbor and we hold things back from God and we sometimes, we, we misdirect our love to other things. You can know with confidence that God sacrificed himself for you first. He freely chose to sacrifice for you. You didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, which means you can't lose it. That's the whole point. God loves you freely by sacrificing himself for you. That's real love. And because he did that, that frees us up to sacrifice ourselves in return. That's the invitation. Um, So what does this mean for us? And I think we can just highlight what Redeemer tries to highlight all the time, that this invitation of this passage reminds us we can rest in the sacrificial love of God. Like some of you just need to hear, God loves you. You can rest in that. You didn't do too much this week. You're not too far away from him. Jesus chose you and died for you, and that sacrifice is forever. Some of you also need to be reminded of love, but also, lastly, some of you need to be invited to reflect that love to your neighbor. That who is one person this week that you see every day that God might be inviting you to love? Who is it? Not because they deserve it, but because if God offered his self for you, you can sacrificially offer yourself for him in his kingdom. That's what it means to be a part of his kingdom command. So to summarize and then conclude, love is commanded by God for our good because we've captured God's heart. He wants our heart, so he commands us to love. Love is a community. You cannot divorce neighbor from love of God, love of You can't divorce it. And then lastly, love is costly. It's sacrificial. He sacrificed his son to show us he loved us so we can rest, remind, and reflect this love to our neighbor. That's, y'all, that's the most important thing God wants from us. Your love, your heart. I'll conclude with this. So a couple summers ago, we found an old Avett Brothers CD, a sampler CD, and we listened to it nonstop. Every time we get in the car, our kids were like, play Avett, and I'm like, all right, we'll do it. And uh, one of the songs, track number six, was The Ballad of Love and Hate. And it's about this married couple who symbolically represents love, who is the wife, and hate, who is the husband, of course, right? Basically, love goes on this trip, and it's hard for him that she's gone, but he actually doesn't care about love, you know? He's hate. And so love comes home from her trip. It's 2.55 a.m. She goes to the kitchen, and hate is gone. Hate has gone to a bar and gotten wasted, and he's hating everyone he sees, calling them names. He's intoxicated, drunk, a jerk, and he stumbles into the kitchen. And here's how the song goes. Love has been waiting patient and kind, just wanting a phone call or some kind of sign. That the one that she cares for, who's out of his mind, will make it back safe to her arms. Hate stumbles forward and leans in the door, weary head hung down eyes to the floor. He says, love, I'm sorry. And she says, what for? I'm yours, and that's it, whatever. I should not have been gone for so long. And he goes, I'm yours, and that's it forever. 
you're mine, and that's it forever. And after the song, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I am hate. I'm like this jerk. I'm mean. I was like probably mean to my kids in the car at the time. Like, I don't know, but I was like, I am so hate. And I was about to say something to Deanna, and my wife was like, oh my gosh, love deserves a better guy. And I was like, does she know? Like, does she, is she saying that about me? I don't think she was. Um, but we're both right. Like, in some way, we're all hate, right? We all take our misdirected love that's for God alone, and we go off into the world apart from him. And in many ways, Jesus does deserve a better guy. He deserves people who love him. But the thing is, is that love reminds us that Jesus looks at you and me and all of our imperfections and our inability to keep the law, and he says, I'm yours, and that's it forever. You're mine, and that's it forever. Because the most important thing this morning that Jesus wants your love. He wants your heart, he wants your love. Give it to him freely, because he freely gave his heart, his son Jesus, for you. That's kingdom command. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for reminding us uh, of love. That love never turns inward, it always expresses itself outwards. A love never seeks its own benefit. It always seeks the benefit of those around it. And you did not just command us to love. You actually showed us love by dying for us on the cross. God, thank you for loving us, reminding us the most important thing. Please bless these men and women as they make their way in the world. And as we try to follow this kingdom command, Lord, go with us. Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.